Good day and welcome to Circle Forum, conversations and stories about restorative practices in schools where we talk about bullying in the primary grades and secondly, how can we deal with curriculum from a restorative perspective when I don't have time for this. Our website is circleforum.ca. Follow us on Instagram at circle.forum. And here are your hosts, Shelly, Steve, and me, Stan. Good to see you guys. How are you doing today? Doing very well, thank you. How about you? I'm doing great, doing great. Thanks for answering for me, Steve. That was great. That's exactly what I was going to say. I knew you would, Stan. I could tell. (laughs) Uh, Our uh, story today comes to us from none other than Steve at Steve Storytime. So, Steve, you have a story for us. I do have a story, and this is around um, a primary class or a primary student and ultimately their class. Um, Parents approached me as a principal saying that their, their daughter had been bullied on the yard repeatedly by students in the class and usually during recess out in the yard at recess. And so as you, you investigate any story, you talk to the girl and then you find out their friends' names and you talk to the friends. And I, depending on the days, if I've got the time, I will just keep on rolling. And eventually I talked to 21 different students all in the same grade, started hearing all the same stories. And it, it turns out that, you know, sometimes it was the, the the girl in question, sometimes other kids, but essentially it all came down to these kids learning how to play and not knowing how to play well in the yard. And so I spoke with the teacher and the girl's parents and said, this is what I've found so far. And then, of course, the parents said, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Good, fair question. And so I said, I was going to progress with doing some circle meetings of all the key players and then the kids in the class. We're going to go back and have a meeting with the whole class. And the teacher said, well, I don't know what that's all about. And I said, well, I'm going to show you. And so over the next month or so, I modeled class circles and I asked a whole lot of different questions of the students, the games they played and how they chose teams and, and how did they pick certain individuals to play with and what, how did you figure out rules, how did you determine who won and lost, really getting a sense of how they played and how they got together to play. Eventually, the teacher got fairly confident and she took over holding some of those circles and I sat in and listened and sort of coached her through it. And over time, some of the other classes picked up on it, too, because not all these 21 kids were all from the same class. There was, we had four classes of that same grade that year. And so there was a smattering in all the other grades. And so we started talking to the other teachers and they started picking up doing some of these circles as well. And eventually we started. Hold, so after every recess, the kids would come in, they'd sit in a circle. We would talk about how recess went. Eventually we flipped it. We started having the circles before recess. We started preparing them for recess. Before you go out for recess, what games are you going to play? Who are you going to play with? And how are you going to pick those people? And what are you going to do if somebody doesn't want to play that game? So we started preparing them and going through scripts of how to get ready for play. And so that proved to be even more of of an impact on the kids and their ability to play than having the circles afterwards. Now, conflict would still happen. Things would still happen no matter how much prep we did. But when they came back in, they automatically would get together with the teachers and say, we need to talk about what happened at recess. And they would talk about what happened at recess and they would move on. And, you know, the whole rest of the year, never heard another word. The bullying word never came up the whole rest of the year. And when I talked to those parents, one of those parents happened to be a teacher in our school board and taught that same grade. 
talked to that teacher about what was happening. And they said, oh yeah, we talked to our daughter all the time. This is great. We have circles at home now. So even the parents were picking up on some of that strategy. Now it was, you know, it was a lot of work on my part, but I think it was work. It was work that was well spent because we impacted four kids, four classes at a very early age, a very early starting age of their school career on how to get along in the yard because they had a lot of years ahead of playing in the yard. And this was a great thing to me. It was a great investment of time. I'm, gl- I'm glad you use that word investment. Cause I was just going to say what a, a worthwhile investment of time in relationships. And if you look at the curve of time that you spent, you said, you know, a lot of time at the beginning. And then I was running a few f- circles, you said, and then I handed it off to the teacher and then the teacher started uh, running the circles. And it really is about teaching not only the kids, but the adults, the teachers, here's how we can um, work through the conversations. And here's the structure um, that you can that you can use. There was a lot of great things in that story, Steve. And one of them that stood out right at the beginning was defining bullying. And I know we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but even asking that question about what's happening, because we know bullying gets used as a catch-all for conflict. And little ones will have conflict because they haven't learned the skills. How do we how do we play? How do we invite people? How do we tell them we don't like what they're doing? But and that all gets lumped into bullying. So really understanding what what happening is happening at a developmental level is really important. But what I really love is that it really illustrates that little ones can learn this stuff. You oh, know, and they they quickly you give them a tool just like anything else and. Um, in some of my work in schools, as long as we were giving, um, we made cards up that had pictures of the actions because some of the little ones couldn't read yet. So rather than just giving them the questions to work through with their friends, cards that had pictures on that demonstrated the question about what's happening, who's being affected or how are people feeling, you know, you change the language a little bit. And we saw from grade one and grade two, they were able to do that. Once they had been taught how to do that, they would sit together in pairs or in threes and work their way through that. And isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what we want for kids to be able to do? And then then may or may not have to go in and check with the adult about what they had come up with as a solution. And, uh, and the other thing starts to happen is they start to recognize when they need adult help, we need a circle. We need to circle up. You'll hear phrases like that. And the last for that support. Um, so, so much went on in that story around learning. Yeah. And, and the beauty of that is to, I followed those, obviously I followed those classes and those teachers for the rest of the year. And they started using circles for a variety of other purposes because I would go in and say, you know, we can use circles for more than just playground problems. And, you know, being a proponent of, of restorative and these, these teachers didn't have that background. I started to teach them as we go. So, you know, they didn't go to the, the training sessions, you know, a, a, an accredited training session or anything, they had me to come in and model of behavior. And in a way, it's a teaching model that we hear a lot of. It's called the gradual release of responsibility. And you'll hear that in all sorts of teaching these days and a lot of it around literacy and math. And really it's about, I'm going to do it the first time. I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to model it. I'll, I'm slowly, I'm going to let you take over. And eventually I'm just going to back up. And now it's up to you. And so in a way, that was the, the, the 
the way I taught these that group of teachers how do you do circles in their classroom is just I did it all first. You watch me, and then eventually I'm going to ask you to run a, run a circle. And we did all the things with talking pieces. I mean, kids at that age they love the talking pieces, and um, you know whether it was a stuffed animal or a ball or something like that, they loved the idea that they could hold on to that piece and pass it around. And some kids once they got that talking piece, boy, they talked. And some of them just okay, you can only say a sentence you can't say a paragraph and so we had those conversations too about some monopolizing the conversation but it's all a learning curve Shelly you're right and we we do that at that early age and they're quite capable of doing it I mean I've done circles in kindergarten classes before and they eventually learn the procedure and they learn what it's about and they know what the talking piece is and they know that when someone's talking they have to listen and so it's it's quite doable and quite quite easily done over time with any age group. I think the 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 one of the other things I really like about the story too is that recess or time on the yard is generally unstructured time, and we want it to be unstructured for kids so that they can run, get that you know those uh, get their EBGBs out or whatever it is, you know, just do lots of different kinds of activities. And yet we have to give a little bit of structure to their time before they get out there. And so it sounds very much like you know the structure and support piece. Like here's the structure. Uh, if you're going to be playing basketball, what are you going to need for basketball? Well, you're going to need the basketball. Well, who's going to get it? Because last time there was a lot of fighting about who gets the classroom ball or or whatever, right? And so to just have that pre-conversation to set up the structure, and uh, it it can make all kinds of difference. Your Your story about Elementary classes reminds me of a situation where I ran a a, a circle with a, a kindergarten class. It happened to be in February, and there was a lot of runny noses. And we had the made the mistake of using a stuffed animal to uh, pass around a circle. And I'll tell you, by the time it came back around, I was holding that thing just like by the little edge of the ear. And I thought, nope, we're not using a talking piece anymore yeah. this season of the year. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and so you talk about a stuffed animal. I had a kindergarten class and the, the the student of the day, and most kindergartens will have a student of the day. If it's their birthday, they're the student of the day and they get to take the attendance to the office or whatever it is. And But this classroom had it set up so that the student of the day got to bring in a show and tell toy. And then that became the talking piece. So if they're having a circle, that was the talking piece. And we were doing... Uh, you know, we would go around the circle and pass the talking piece. And then the teacher said, we're going to do a popcorn circle, which is a non-sequential circle where you, if someone wants, they put their hand up and you, you toss the talking piece to them. And so this kid had the talking piece and then another kid had put his hand up. And so he threw it across the classroom and it hit what went off the kid's forehead, left a great big gash. And there was blood and everything because the talking piece was a metal uh, transformer robot that this kid had brought in. So the lesson learned was you got to bring in a soft talking piece. You can't bring in a hard metal talking piece. So we had, that was the end of the circle. We had to go down to the office and get the, the cut looked after, but uh, yeah, they were following all the rules. He threw it at them, but the other guy just didn't see it coming. So. Another story that came up to me in connection with recess uh, behavior and so on was there was a student and this was, I think a grade five or six, and he was really being very, very aggressive on the yard 
And we were talking together, the teacher and I, about what we could do about this aggressive behavior. And my question to the teacher was, well, what is this individual good? Like, what is he really good at? What does he excel at? And it turned out that he was really good at art and he was really good at math. And I said, well, is there something, some activity, some kind of leadership activity that we could give him in class um, to, to allow him to you know, exercise his leadership ability? And maybe that'll impact his behavior on the art. She said, yeah, um, he can introduce the problem of the day, the math problem of the day. So I checked back in with her a week later and she said, you wouldn't believe how much his behavior has changed on the yard because every day that he comes in now, he's the person who's doing some, some leading. He's presenting the problem of the day. And all those issues that we had on the yard have almost completely disappeared. And I thought... Isn't that interesting that the impact, like it's, it's never isolated. Those things are connected. And I think it works the other way around too, that stuff that happens in the yard can negatively impact someone's performance or achievement as well, but it works at all grade levels. It's not just grade school. It's also at high school, um, having circles with students around the fact that their phones are going off in class, right? And the teacher is just really frustrated off <laughs> with um, the fact that the phones are going on and having a circle about this, you know, should we leave the phones in the, in our lockers or whatever? And finally, one of the students said, listen, you know, three quarters of the people you're going to text are in this class anyway. So why don't you just stop and just go over and talk to them or whatever, when there's or a just chance. pass notes like we used to. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, a number of students volunteered as a result of that to really cut back on that, to, to just be more honest. A couple of them said, no, I'm still going to keep going. And we said, what are you going to do? And one person said, just going to keep going. And I made a mental note and the teacher did as well to just kind of keep an eye out for that individual. So it, 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 you know, having those kinds of uh, discussions about stuff that goes on in the classroom works at a number of different grade levels. Well, I think it's important to remember that this work in restorative circles or restorative classroom work began with teenagers. It, it, that's where the work began and in alternate alternative classrooms with students that had struggled being in the traditional school system. So that's where the work became successful. So we know that it works for all profiles of students, all ages of students. If you give them the opportunity and the structure, they'll rise to that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, students that are on the spectrum, students with learning disabilities, I've done circles with ESL students who have a limited understanding of the English language, and yet they can participate. We found ways for them to participate in circles. I mean, we worked at it and, you know, they, they loved it because they were part of the class, even though they understood very little of what everybody else was saying. But we partnered them with somebody who could translate, who was right next to them, and allowed them to whisper. And, and so we did little things like that so that we could include everybody in circles. And this was a primary class. I remember it was a grade three class we did that. Effectively, what we're doing with circles in primary classes is we're translating some of these big concepts into words and terms that kids who are five, six, seven years old can understand. Let's go to have your say. Shelly, you have a scenario for us to talk about today. Right. It's kind of a scenario and then it's a broader question. Um, often when restorative practices is introduced in school, you know, people think, how, how am I going to fit this into my day? How am I going to take the time out of my teaching 
to, to make this work in my classroom. And I've seen some very successful classrooms using it to support the curriculum work. What are some tips to get a teacher started to use restorative circles in cur curriculum delivery? Well, I had a teacher that loved doing circles and it started off doing circles, obviously for, you know, classroom circle and social emotional building and so on and so forth. And he just fell into it one day by accident because he had all the kids sitting in a circle and he happened to have a room that down below, every time they moved the furniture in the class down below just went crazy because of all the chairs and desks sliding. So he just, they had him in a circle. He thought, I don't want to move the furniture again. Let's just do our English class while we're sitting here. And it worked unbelievably well. And so he just continued with it. And so sometimes he, he fell into it, but he liked circles already. For a, for a teacher who doesn't under, even understand circles in their basic use, it's going to be tough to get them to start with curriculum circles. But I think getting them started on circles and then slowly working in some curriculum type questions gets them to suddenly see, you know what, we can do this. We'll move the furniture once today, but we can do everything we need to do. And there are some subjects that lend themselves nicely to using a circle format. I know in high schools, I've seen them used to do test, to do exam preparation and that type of thing, studying for exams. Uh, in elementary, we use them in literacy and math. And in math, the three-part math lesson, and by the time you get to the, the, the last part of the three parts, which is to show how you solved a problem, let's get in a circle and, and do it in a circle that way. We call it Math Congress in the, the model we use. And so we did all their Math Congresses in a circle. And then since the circle was there, oh, and by the way, it's recess in five minutes. Let's talk about what's going to happen at recess. So you do a little bit of both, right? As long as you're there. Your math story reminds me of uh, watching a teacher that I had trained. Uh, I went in one day and he was doing his math lesson and the work with the students on the floor, they were all on their knees. This is probably a grade five class. And they all had the little manipulatives and he was giving them directions and they had to put these in different configurations. I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but they were very busy doing it. And at the end I asked him what, you know, this is a lesson he had taught before. So what was different? Why was he using circles and how had it impacted the students? He told me he had less behaviors, issues within that circle. All the students could see, see each other. He had students that he knew needed extra support sitting close to him, but also students were looking to their left or their right and getting cues from other students at the same time to then carry on. So all this was happening and he this was kind of a quick fire exercise he was doing. So he was firing these um, problems at the kids and they were working collaboratively and those that didn't need the support would just do it. And uh, there, was, well, there wasn't the usual behaviors from the students that would struggle with that kind of thing. So it was quite fascinating. And I think that's part of the key is recognizing all the good stuff that is happening when you're using circles. And a lot of times what happens is you're already doing these kinds of things with your students. You're changing the structure and the format. So in a book study, for example, you might read to the end of chapter three and then ask a circle, which goes around. If you were the main character here, what kind of impact has this had on you? Or imagine you're one of the characters in the story. Tell us what you would do next. What's the next thing you would do? And you just work around the circle. And it's it's phenomenal to see the kinds of things that, the, the way that it engages students in the conversation. Yeah, different kind of responses you get. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing is, it's not all, all the, the entire class in a circle or none. I've seen teachers do small 
circles with a, a select group of kids. They might have six or eight kids, and maybe it's a novel study, maybe it's a, a level book, and they're meeting with that group that are at that level for their level book reading. And you know, a lot of schools are using level books all the way through. And so when they meet with their their book group two or three or four or yellow or green or whatever they call them, you might have six kids, but let's sit in a circle when we do it. And we years ago we started buying these half moon. Uh, half circle tables and there's a little cutout the teacher would sit in the middle and the kids would all sit around you know so one of my grade eight classes thought it was a great poker table for lunchtime but what one teacher did is that we happened to have an next one so she slid the two of them together and created a full circle table and they all sat around this big circle that that became her her uh, literacy center where the kids would come together to talk about literacy but to your point, Stan, about doing you know a whole circle and doing a, a novel study or asking questions about stories or settings or whatever, it's fantastic. The other thing I've seen teachers do is it, you can do a lot of other kinds of work in a circle because you've got elbow partners. And so they'll, whenever there's a discussion question, you talk to your elbow partners. And so you got somebody on each side. And a lot of schools, a lot of teachers I've seen in schools will have a, a, a class set of clipboards. So when you come to the circle, bring your clipboard. And so if there's ever any writing to do or answering a question or whatnot, you've got something to write on and then you can hold it up or you can put it down on your floor when you're done with it, whatever. So you can get a little bit of uh, work done that way as well. So it's about creativity. I mean, it's limitless really in how creative you can be. And I think I mentioned in one of our other previous uh, podcasts about when I started teaching phys ed, we always sat in a circle because it was to me the obvious way to get the the, the, the messages across so you can put circles in every subject if you're creative enough just figure it out take the strategy of think pair share as an approach to teaching in a circle what you would do is ask your elbow partner for the person first of all here's the question you need to think about then share it with the person beside you and as we go around give your partner's answer when the question comes around so now what happens is I don't have to struggle with what I have to say because I just have to report on what my partner has said. And for kids who are really hesitant to speak out, they don't have a problem giving somebody else's answer, but they just don't want to have to be the one giving theirs. Now, you can do that in a sequential going going around or you could do it in a non-sequential. But the point is you take that think, pair, share strategy into the circle, and it gives people a little bit more time to consider. Some kids need time to think about what the question is before raising their hand. Everybody will, who wants to can share, or you can make it uh, something that you know goes around the circle. So and, participation goes up and the lesson becomes more meaningful for students is what I'm kind of hearing too. And to go back to your very original question, Stan, the opening was, how do we get teachers to start doing introducing curriculum into a circle process? Um, the same way we get them to start doing circles at all is try one. I'll go in and model it for you. I'll show you how to do a circle. And when I'm going to come in to model, we'll talk about, you know, what did you do on the weekend and, and all those, those icebreaker type things. And maybe we'll talk about an issue like yard behavior or whatnot. But I got something I want to read to you now. And I got it from your teacher and it's part of, it's the book you're reading. I'm going to read it. And we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to model how do you use a circle to, to do a book study or to do a math lesson or whatever. So find those people that are already doing it and try and work them into the classrooms that aren't doing it to start opening up the doors for new people to see it. Because a lot of people, they're a little hesitant until they see it. But once they see it, oh my goodness, that really worked. Well, I think I'm going to try that. And now you've, you've got another convert, I suppose. But, uh, the other piece I would say, not only, you know, invite them into um, 
model or ask how they do it, but ask what differences they see in their students. And, and because that's what, that's what makes things become part of somebody's practice. If it's not going to change how your classroom performs or how people interact, then you're probably not going to make that shift because there's a lot that does go on in circles and there's a lot of benefits and a lot of pieces to draw from as a teacher. So to, to be aware of those would be helpful as well. To take the example of a foreign language study in, in a lot of schools, French, for example, you can do fantastic French oral assessment by asking a question or modeling a sentence or having it up on uh, your whiteboard with the blanks and all the student has to do is, is read it or fill in the blanks. And you have a little checklist and you're just checking off doing your, your oral assessment. I know of a, a grade nine uh, applied French teacher. This is the class that people don't like to teach because everybody has to get this language credit. And so in high school, it's all the kids who have to take it, but don't like it. And she had built into her class structure every single day, a circle. She did it in English, but it was basically a relationship building circle. And when she didn't run that circle, the students would say, miss, we still have to do the circle here today. She'd go, oh yeah. And what started to happen was kids didn't want to miss her class either. Attendance in grade nine applied French classes is not that great. But because of the relationships that this teacher built with her students, nobody wanted to miss. Same thing happened to a uh, and this I thought was an amazing example, a grade 12 math teacher who would take every Friday to address an issue or uh, something that was happening in, in the news or uh, an issue that the class needed to deal with, you know, in terms of how things were going. And he would take 75 minutes to do non-math, just a circle on Friday. And, and nobody missed his Friday classes and he actually got more math instruction done over the course of the week. I mean, if you figure 15 minutes a day times five days, you've already got 75 minutes of the instruction kind of moving back and forth. He was able to use that in each of the other four days so that it really, really built community and actually increase the amount of time that he had to teach math. Because they were connected as a community to be less shoes. Exactly. Exactly. And students also want to perform or please a teacher that they feel connected to as well. So what I've heard from you guys, thank you so much, is that it's really about not changing your curriculum, having to do anything different and not, you know, teach things differently. It's about how to approach the curriculum that you already have in a different way and also take note of the response you're getting from students um, likely what you're going to see is more engagement, more answers that uh, are deeper and that kids enjoy being in your class. So thank you for that. Circle meetings and conversations can start out small and the investment of time in building relationships in the classroom or school pays off big time for the rest of the year. And the curriculum presents all kinds of opportunities to integrate restorative practices into all the subjects. Best advice? Try it and see how it goes. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe. Please take a minute to give us a review and a rating. Drop us an email to stan at restorative.ca and share this podcast with people at your school and in your district. And let's keep the conversations going.